0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Beyond the Cast. Today, I'm very excited to have my buddy, Matt Jackson, or Matthew Jackson. What do you prefer, Matt or Matthew? You can call me anything you want. (laughs) Just don't call me late for dinner. Matt's fine. (laughs) Matt's fine. So, uh, you and I met at the CBA banquet, I think it was two years ago. It was. Uh, um, Jace Bowserman was your keynote speaker, and... Pretty much I know a little bit about you. More what I know about you is the CBA connection. Mm. So you were the editor in chief of you know the whole CBA, the publication that you guys put out every month. But tell us else what you do.
1: Yeah. So being the executive editor for the CBA magazine, the Colorado Bow Hunter was what got me involved in the Colorado Bow Hunters Association. And um getting involved with them, I, I kind of dug a little bit deeper. It was right during COVID. Uh, July of 2020, when I answered the call, uh, Mike Geary, who was the chairman at the time, you know, was putting out an email saying, "Hey, we're looking for a new editor." And I, I'd been published uh, more than two dozen times in in some pretty big publications in in my field, which is finance, Forbes and Fortune and stuff like that, and done quite a bit of writing for magazines, but um, and wrote my own number one bestseller. And I thought, you know, um, somebody's got to jump in and help, and and it was during COVID. We're all kind of isolated from each other, and so I kind of raised my hand, said, yeah, I'd be happy to help, and started looking at the magazine, was invited to a board meeting, and they were having some internal discussions on how to grow the CBA because COVID, like many organizations, just decimated the volunteer ranks. Like, we couldn't get together and talk about things and have that community and camaraderie and and they didn't have anybody there that really knew how to build community through technology. We could still be close and be friends, but we could be around the country. And man, I think since like 2015, I've been working with clients all over the world. And so technology has never been a barrier for me. In fact, I embraced it well before mainstream did because I wanted to have location freedom. I wanted to be able to work my businesses anywhere in the world and not have to do face-to-face meetings. And so listening to what they were going through and how the CBA was struggling, I started kind of looking at their operations and um, they were doing everything analog, file cabinet and paper. (laughs) And people were sending in checks, you know, for their memberships. Right. And, you know, think about it. COVID, you know, we can't get together. How do you get people to sign up for a jamboree? How do you get people to come to, um, when when all the restrictions were lifted, how do you get them to come to uh, the big game awards? And because they were kind of suffering from losing some volunteers, it was virtually impossible, in my opinion, for somebody to be sitting at a post office box waiting for checks to come in. And so I looked at the, the digital footprint that they had, which was pretty small. And so uh, I organized a team of two to three people and we completely rebuilt the backbone of the CBA to make it a digital uh, organization. And now really you could run the entire organization with three or four people. That's awesome. The entire organization from marketing to membership, to what we do with the magazine, um, to legislation, legislative affairs, and then all the stuff that we do with the CPW. Uh, We digitized it. It's recorded. And the reason why that's so important Santino is I always thought, you know, if I can share my skills and make the world better, that's great. But I was taught like, well, what happens if Matt Jackson gets hit by a truck or gored by a a big old elk or eaten by a freaking big brown bear, right? Uh, I want the organization to carry on.
0: For sure. Well, you know, kind of going to that whole intro, I I've seen the huge facelift that you guys have created the platform. Everything's great. You and I connected that banquet and because we're very like-minded with business, like we walk into places and, try to find solutions for gaps, not no judgment, but that's just the way you're wired. That's the way I'm wired, but kind of rewinding before we, you know, come back to the CBA and some of that stuff. What's your story? Where were you born? Like, let's start there. Let's start from the beginning, man. I I know we could probably spend all day talking about it, but kind of want to know your story and your, and your history, because you have some incredible fundamental truths, uh, there's things about your life with the non-drinking and like your faith and just the things that you're involved in. But then it seems like everywhere you've gone and businesses that you've contributed to attesting even your, your book, that was a bestseller, you find success. And I think that that starts from a certain point Mm. and that, but you know, so let's just kind of open that up.
1: Yeah. uh, It's one of the hardest things for me to talk about.
0: I know, but we're going to (laughs) (laughs) putting me in the hot seat. So I was born in the
1: Midwest, um, Lake County, Illinois. It's right on the border of uh, Illinois and Wisconsin, 17 miles north of Chicago, was a latchkey kid. um, And it was it was a really happy way to grow up, but it was tough. You know, I was pretty isolated by myself a lot. Luckily, I found gymnastics when I was like uh, eighth or ninth grade, maybe seventh grade. My father was a national champion ringman at Iowa State University, and uh, you know I just love swinging like a monkey, and I used that as an escape to get me out of the, the uncomfortable positions that I didn't like, and so I was a gym rat, you know, and um, got still a are St- still are it's yeah. it's in my soul, man. Like I can't I can't get out of it, but. um... I grew up, you know, as a sportsman. My dad was a voc ed teacher. He had the only aviation construction program in the country where they built like four flying airplanes, man. One of them set a world record. And he did it with high school kids who are at risk of dropping out. You know, he changed a lot of lives. And the benefit that I got out of it was, got to learn how to use my hands, build stuff, weld, you know, all the stuff that comes along with building an aircraft. My dad's a master mechanic. You know, he's fun to watch him work his magic on that which uh which was really cool and you know the benefit for me was um he would take us to Canada every year my brother and I we would go fishing and there was a lot of years there that we would throw his plane on floats put it on a six place snowmobile trailer haul it all the way up to Red Lake Ontario fold the wings back put the pins in start the prop and we would go fly out and fish off the pontoons
0: wow way cool super cool way
1: cool so it was a really cool introduction into, uh, you know, the out of doors. My dad was definitely a sportsman. He didn't hunt. He, he liked to fish, but really kind of occasionally. But more importantly, he liked the adventure. And that's really what he instilled in me was the adventure. Yeah. And I love doing things that are hard. I love going into the unknown. And I love doing things that I've never done before. And so from a young age, you know, I, my wife and I were just on vacation and we were talking about, me being a kid growing up and I was sharing her some stories and I looked back and I'm like, man, I remember like I was 11, 12 years old. My brother was like 13 or 14. And my dad would, Hey, you guys got enough food for the day? Put us in a 12 foot or 14 foot Lund boat with a five horsepower motor. And off we would go for the day in the middle of nowhere in Canada.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah. I look back on it now. and like, there were storms that we survived. We're bailing water out of the boat as we're trying to get back to the camp. And, You know, huge, you know, we would call them huge as kids, you know, three, four foot waves on these massive lakes in in Ontario. And we're just going over them, you know, in this little boat, trying not to capsize. And, you know, we'd make it back, you know, by the skin of our teeth. And I don't know how my dad let us do that stuff. But um, that, you know, really learning how to be an outdoorsman kind of led me to where I'm at today, which is, I'm proud to say I'm a bow hunter. I didn't find hunting until I moved to Colorado in 95. Got it. Yeah.
0: So what brought you to Colorado? So I was a collegiate gymnast,
1: um, competed at a very high level, went back to Chicago, worked downtown in the city for six months and was like, this is not for me. I like four-wheeling. I like rappelling. I like skydiving. I like shooting guns and shooting bows and all that stuff and fishing. And Illinois just really didn't have it for me, man.
0: Well, it's funny because you talk about, or I maybe not funny, ironic, because you talk about being in the country and it was tough and your outlet was the gym. (laughs) And then you talk about going to Chicago and like, uh, now you're around people. So you had to find the happy balance. Sounds like Colorado was the place.
1: Definitely the place for me. You know, um, I like to be around people that are, that are charging, you know, it's motivating for me and I like freedom. I like to do my own. I like to kind of run my own jam, do my own thing. And you know, when I moved to Northern Colorado in 95, you could drive up the Poudre Canyon and see one other car the entire way. You know, you could drive to Denver. Back in 95 and, you know, maybe 7 o'clock at night, you might see, you know, 1,000 cars. Now, you know how it is now. Oh, it's crazy. So when I moved here in 95, um, I took up rifle hunting in like 96 or 97, was successful with a rifle, had a lot of fun. And uh, true to being a gymnast, here's the thing about being a gymnast, is that you're never satisfied. It's the most brutal sport out there. I broke over 20 bones competing, training. You know, when people see that sport on TV, they see how smooth it is and how powerful the guys are and how precise the men and women doing it are. But what they don't see is all the falls and broken bones and sprained ankles and all the, the beatings you take in the gym. It is a brutal sport. Here's the other side of the brutality of that, is like you're never good enough. Because if you get a double layout and you're sticking it off of, you know, rings or high bar, it's not good enough. Now you got to got to twist it. Right. right? Now I got to do triple back, or now I got to double twist it. And that was just gr- grilled into me from when I was like in eighth grade all the way through when I graduated college. It was like, you're always looking for the next best thing. You're always looking to level up. You're always there to seek the truth about what you're capable of. Right. And I guess um, that really kind of instilled in me, you know, where I am today, which is like always seeking the truth the truth about me physically, like, what am I capable of? Even at my age of 52, man, what am I, I'm still searching for what am I capable of? I love it. What it's got me searching and seeking, like, what am I capable of emotionally? The challenges that I can handle, how I handle them. Do I handle them with grace or do I handle them with fire? Do I handle them with control or am I out of control when I get thrown really tough mental challenges? Um, And then spiritually, like, you know, uh, life is tough. It's really tough, especially if you're out there kind of the tip of the spear doing hard things, you know, um, and it's going to challenge you spiritually like who you are. Are you worthy to, to, to be successful in whatever you do? Um, one of my friends in Fort Collins, who's a hairdresser, and he is one of the best hairdressers in the country. He tells me all the time, there's no such thing as an overnight success. Oh, for sure. No such thing. But it's interesting in this day in social media, people think that everything is an overnight success.
0: Well, I I think that with some of the stuff that I've come through, people are like, well, why I make a joke about it. I'm just lucky. Right. And people are like, well, it's more than luck because you're consistent with it. But success is when preparation meets opportunity. Right. The, you, you see all these guys with the things that you've done with being in the gym and doing all those things. You're also a black belt, which we'll talk about that in jujitsu later. Uh, but it takes that hard work. It takes changing your life. When people are like, well, how do you get paid to go on hunts and do all these things? It's like, I had a really hard conversation a long time ago with my family saying that I was going to pursue this. And they looked at me like, well, the boys thought it was great. Uh, but <laughs> there were some objecting <laughs> individual yeah. and it's like, is this going to work? And it's like, I'm going to make it work yep. because you have to have that, but it's a grind. And not only that at, 20 years later, I'm looking at it from a standpoint, or I'll just say to be accurate, almost 20 years later, I've shifted. Yeah. And I've been able to find, you know, the right path. But what I like about what you said, it, you know, being a gymnast and doing all the stuff that you were doing, as soon as you'd land a trick, it, then it was like, what's next. And that's the mentality in my mind, like not just with jujitsu, not just with growing a business, but just in everything, right? Like even in your faith, if you can get to a point where you hit something and then you're not like necessarily looking for the pat on the back, it feels good. But then it's like, all right, flush it. What's next? Yeah. Those, that mentality. And a lot of the successful people I've met like guys like you, that's why you keep achieving and keep excelling.
1: Yeah. You're never satisfied. Right. right? You know, um, some people confuse it with ego that in order to be successful, you have to have a big ego. No, dude, it's just self, just self-challenge. Like, well, what am I really capable of in this life?
0: Do you know Dwayne Ludwig? Yeah. Yeah, so he, he... I don't know him personally. I know who he is. We've never met, but yeah. Okay, Dwayne's a great guy. He lives up in Lions. I should connect you to. Uh, but he was talking about ego, and he goes... Uh, because a lot of the times when I had met him, I don't want to say it was like ego, but he was just so focused. Like, he never hung out and partied. He knew what he wanted. He saw the target a long time ago when he was a kid. And he goes, I was destined for this. So the way he talks about it is very inspirational, But we talked about ego. And he goes, No, ego is good. He goes, you have to have that. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna be one of the best, you have to have that. Mm -hmm. But just like anything else, you can make a fire and warm your family up, or you can burn your house down. That's right. So he said it so well. So like I've thought about there's a there's a balance between having a healthy ego. And I I think it's good to have it. Sounds like you've well, not a lot
1: of people will explore that, right? It's one or the other, right? And uh I've always just wanted to have that balance, man. I'm I'm a pretty pretty hardcore, like backwaller, meaning if you put 50 people in a room to network, you're going to find me on the back wall, chilling, watching everybody else, right? Because I don't really think like I'm that important. I want to do important things and I want to be a big force in the world for good, but uh, I don't need to beat my chest. I don't need the accolades. Uh, And what you're saying about Dwayne is like, he really didn't do it for the accolades. He did it because he wanted to see what he was capable of as a monster in kickboxing. And he was one of the world's best, greatest of all, like he was, is a stud. Yeah. And, uh, those guys, that's what I love about martial artists is that, you know, they really understand that balance between, you got to have the ego to you don't want to lose, but you're not going to walk around saying I'm the baddest man on the planet because as soon as you do, there's guys lining up to prove that you're not right. Does that make sense? For sure. And so, you know, it's, I I bring that to business in the regard that, you know, anything that I put my name on, I want to be the best at period because it's my name, right? I represent my family, right? I represent my wife, my daughter, and then the organization that I'm a part of. And so um, that attitude, that mindset from gymnastics, you know, always wanting to be better and seeking the truth about who I am physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually um, really helped me as an entrepreneur. For sure. I started out in the construction industry. You know, I got a full ride to Iowa State for men's gymnastics. But yet in the summer, I dug ditches in a trenching and excavating company laying water main. You know, the positive was that that when I wasn't in the gym, I'm digging and I'm getting strong. And I had the boss who would sit in a backhoe. And if you didn't run to go get a tool or you didn't run to go you know, do something he asked you to, he would throw stuff at you from the back of the hoe, (laughs) hurry up. And he would just throw stuff at you. And so here I am, you know, 20 years old (laughs) making $10 an hour running across the job site, you know, to keep my job. Sure. And um, that really helped instill like what hard work really meant. And that, you know, being an entrepreneur is not easy. For sure. You just don't open up shop, you know, and say, uh, Hey, can you guys help me out? Work your contacts. Right. For sure. So I started a construction company here in like 96 in Colorado. We built water features across, you know, Northern Colorado. We built some of the biggest ones. It was very successful. Um, at the end of the day, I had a partner who just didn't want to uphold this financial end of the deal. And we split ways. It was awful for me, but guess what? I recovered.
0: So you're like in your mid thirties. I was, uh, late twenties then, or late twenties. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. When you started that, Yep. what I, did you feel like moving from another state like chicago that's a big big city mm-hmm. coming you know from like you know the brush to the big city in chicago and then coming to colorado did it feel like i can do this did you feel like you had everything or were you just trying to figure it out as you go
1: um as far as the surroundings totally the same because when i was 15 you know i worked on a grain farm i drove you know huge combines and tractors you know thirty five hundred acres is what we farmed it's not huge by all means out here but back there it's still a lot of land. That's huge, right? And so uh, being in the country was is natural for me. You know, Chicago's different now. You know, back in the day when I was growing up, 17 miles north of the city, you're in the middle of nowhere. You know, um, we had horses and cows, and you know, rode dirt bikes all the time. And in the winter time, you know, riding our snowmobiles and doing crazy stuff. Just 17 miles north of the city. But you could do a cannonball rundown on a Friday night and be riding the heart of the city in 25 minutes, right? <laughs> yeah. So it was cool. I had the best of both worlds, which helps me now. Like, you know, in business, when I meet people, I have a such a, a broad experience base. Like, I can relate to anybody. It doesn't matter if, you know, you're still making 10 bucks an hour and you're getting started in business or you've made $500 million selling your company. Sure. Like, I, I have that ability to relate to those people. And um, through... My, my new business, you know, I, should say, I shouldn't say should say new, but I've been at it since, 20, since 2000, you know. Um, I've always been volunteering. When I was uh, working in that construction company, uh, doing my own thing, I volunteered as a youth hockey coach. Because I grew up playing hockey, but I was better at gymnastics. I was kind of a, an undersized defenseman in hockey. And I had people, even though I played young Americans in Chicago, they were like, you're too small to be a defenseman in college,
0: man. You'll never make
1: it. And unfortunately I listened to him, you know, worked out for the best for me that I got a scholarship, you know, and and got my college paid for, but I went back to something that I loved uh, when I got here. And for seven years, I was a volunteer youth hockey coach for Northern Colorado youth hockey. And then parlayed that into coaching the Colorado state university uh, D2 club team there. We had a lot of success, went to nationals both years, had a lot of fun. Um, But I should say, and, that led me to the financial services industry. You know, when I finished my construction uh, experience and left there kind of uh, disappointed, I had a guy who was telling me, dude, you should get involved in insurance. You would make a killing. You are you got the personality. You got the look. You care about people. You're going to do the right thing. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, I don't want to be some lame insurance salesman. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that is the worst thing in the world. And then like three months later, I wound up getting licensed and I loved it. Like I was helping people. I did group health insurance and I really liked it. There was a lot of people that needed
0: help. That's uh, So, well, kind of a few things. So you've mentioned, I'm happy we started from the beginning because I'm learning a lot more about you that I had no idea. But uh, which is all great. But when you were getting like tools thrown at you. And saying, yes, sir, running and doing that. And then you just said that you love serving, helping people Mm -hmm. and volunteering. Mm -hmm. Like I think, and I hope this strikes a chord with people that are listening because there's dads out there that have sons that won't do that. You know, we live in a different time or there's kids that don't have dads and maybe it's a single mom or whatever. And I think that there, there's a different mentality nowadays on like you throw something at somebody now, you're probably getting a lawsuit but if you yell at them, like to say you throw words, you send powerful words like, hey, you better get your ass and do this now. They're like, or what? You know, like there's this challenge. Like, so what would you say to somebody that's like maybe in that or they're trying to find their next thing? But they again, that that's the part of ego that I think gets you in trouble. Like even though you had some ego that was healthy for you. Yep. Negative ego can have you almost get yourself fired and put you in really bad predicaments where it's like you don't even give yourself an opportunity to see what you can become because you think you know it all. So what would be some advice that you'd offer there? You know, uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu taught me a lot. I knew a lot
1: about humility. It's just kind of in my nature to not be the most important person in the room. But Brazilian jiu-jitsu really helped me kind of crystallize what humility really means, and that is taking criticism well. Being an entrepreneur in the last five years, I've done some big things that were really tough that no one else in my industry in the financial services industry had done to that point. And, um, dude, criticism and people being rough on you is the best thing that you can have for you. They are the, the fastest
0: way for you to improve. But before jujitsu, you had you had this. You grew up mm-hmm. ranching. So, wh- like, where did that where did that become? Like, I, what I'm trying to find is like when were those seeds planted obviously just growing up as a kid, but as you went through your adolescence and I, I see it with my own sons. I I feel like we've done a great job raising them, but as soon as they hit that teenager mark, it's just in our DNA to, you know, I remember, you know, the little shit that I was Mm -hmm. and it's like, there's a part of where young men or, you know, adults want to be on their own, which is a good thing. But if it's not channeled the right way with some wisdom, you know, like, (sighs) they immediately can fall off the rails and kind of get this attitude. Well, fuck you kind of mentality. And it's me against the world. Yep. And you found a way, I'm sure there were moments you felt that, but you learned how to bite your tongue or maybe you did it. Maybe you just did what, what you needed to do. But at the same time, there were, there's been moments through church and stuff where I had to bite my tongue, Yep. but I'm happy I did yeah. because I was able to learn something. So this
1: is huge, man. Uh, and I know exactly what, what the answer is. Um, and it's really kind of the premise of my book. Which was which the name of it? It's called the Retirement Dream Maker. Master the art of retirement abundance. Only a third of it is about money. The other two thirds is how to live your life in retirement with a sense of purpose and fulfillment. Because what led up to me writing that book was the year that my mother passed away uh, from cancer. I, I took off a lot of time to go back to the Midwest and be with her. And during that year, I also settled six of my clients' estates because they had passed away. And being a person who's always open and listening and checking what the room is, the temperature of the room is, uh, there was one common thread that I found through all those people that had passed away, including my own mother, and that was none of them had lived the life that they truly wanted to live. That's rough, dude. It's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, man. My my mother gradu- uh, uh, passed away with hundreds of thousands of dollars in her bank account and never got to use it. Mm. Never got to use it. You know, She was always waiting for permission from somebody or... You know, somebody to give her, uh, to, to do something before she gave herself permission to, to be, to do what she wanted to do. And the direct answer is um, about being focused and not being upset when people throw tools at me or yell at me is I got purpose, dude. I got a huge purpose. You know, my purpose was when I was in college and guys were throwing tools at me was I needed to make money so I could pay for my living expenses when I wanted to go get a burger with my buddies and my purpose was I wanted to be the best in the country on men's rings and men's high bar and nothing was going to get in the way. And I was willing to take a tool thrown at me, somebody talking smack to me to be able to get there. And so my advice for younger people, including my daughter is like, you better find a sense of purpose. Like, what do you really want out of this life? You know, when you're a teenager, you feel like I felt this way. You got all the time in the world, man, and you truly do. But what are you going to do with that time? Right. What do you do with that time as a teenager? I'm I'm working through this with my daughter right now. You know, um, you know, our young kids, you know, I think they have it a lot rougher than us because when my dad would drop me off at our family friend's house on Saturdays, every Saturday, I would take six hours to mow this gentleman's grass for the privilege to keep our horses and our cows there. Six hours all the way through grade school, middle school, and high school, every Saturday without fail. And you know why I couldn't say no? Because when he dropped me off, I didn't have social media to distract me, and I couldn't walk home. It was like (laughs) 10 miles to get home, dude. So listen, man, like, you better get the job done, or you don't have the privilege to hunt ducks before high school there, right? You don't have the privilege to ride your horses there. It's uh, more difficult for our kids, just speaking from experience with my daughter, um... You know Conor McGregor said famously, "It's hard to be a, a total savage when you're sleeping in silk sheets." Yeah, it is. However, you still can be if you have purpose. That was a message in my book to retirees. It's like, you know, so many retirees get caught in this trap of, "Hey man, you worked to your 65, you're done. You have no more value. You're too old. You can't keep up." I call baloney on that, dude. You know why? Because those people, they are probably never have a higher skill set in their life than when they're 65, ever. Like their skills should be as sharp than ever at that point in time in their life. Couple that with you're retired, you have ultimate time freedom. Mm-hmm. You're not answering to a boss every morning. Couple that with financial freedom. At, th- at that point in their life when they hit retirement, they probably never have had that much money in their life. So my question to them is, what can you do with it? Right. You are more valuable to, than, to society than you know. Why are you doing a disservice to your community, to your family, by going, I'm retired, dude, I'm just going to fish today, and I'm not doing anything. Right. That's my message for people that are uh, involved in the Colorado Bow Hunters Association that are retired. It's like, dude, we need you. Absolutely. We, you have skills that we need. You have time that the guys and gals that are working don't have. So you can make a lot of progress during the day when other people are working their day-to-day job and you got financial resources, man. Like you don't have to do this because you got to make money. You can do this because you're making a difference.
0: Right. And I think that's the ultimate, that's probably the highest thing out of all those things is that I respect the guy that busted his butt and he's like, this is, my life's going to look like this, but I want to sit on a beach, you know, drink margaritas, and there's going to be that. But I know guys that have retired young and they went and they joined the country clubs. They went and they played golf. And for the ones that have purpose, that may have lasted a year or so. And they're like, man, I had nobody that could play golf middle of the week. I'm done. And then they go back and they start a different business. I think what happens is, and the, where we started this conversation, is that a long time ago that there, there were some fallen soldiers or some fallen kids that have just didn't, they didn't get brought up through that. So then what happens? You're not a kid forever. You just grow up with the same mentality. I have a few of those. I know a few people that are in their mid-30s, 40s, and they still have the mindset of a 16-, 17-year-old because nobody – and it's sad, like you love them, but at the same time it's like if they don't have purpose, I don't care what your age is, it just gets worse. And then if you and if you feed that dragon, ugh, it can be terrible. Like fire and brimstone just come crashing down. And, and what I mean by that is like, If you don't find or identify purpose, and it doesn't have to be huge, but if you can't find the right path or a path that's going to work with you, that's going to more than anything, give you wholesome, like where you have purpose, you know what you're supposed to do and give you some happiness, you're going to fail miserably. And I've dabbled in that where there's been moments where I felt like giving up and there's been, you know, you get crushed, you get beat down or whatever it is. But it's like, I will never forget some of the crazy jobs that I had to do that were hard and sucked, but I did it just like you. I, mm-hmm. I'll take that because I got a family and I need a support. I need yeah. to provide and I'm not going to quit. But after that, you get to a certain place like you, when you learn how to make money work for you mm-hmm. and you not to make this about that, but when you can learn that you have purpose and the money just comes, man, you can be, it can, it can put you in a whole different mental state.
1: Well, that's where the universe is supporting what you're doing. Right. right? I'm, I'm big on, the universe and God opening or closing doors. And I've had a lot of different um, subjects that, you know, I've built businesses in and I've had no problem, you know, closing or not spending as much time on a business because the universe was just closing doors going, dude, this is not where you're supposed to be. Right. And I think the toughest thing for people is to find their purpose. You know, for me, um, I, I would be embarrassed if I took free money from somebody. Like that to me would be the most shameful thing to do unless they said, we'll give you a leg up. And if you, if you take advantage of it, then we want to see your money back. Right? Like I'm all for giving people hands up, not hands out. I I won't take a handout. I'll take a hand up all day. I haven't received many, which is okay. It's made me tougher. It's made me more durable. It's made me more resourceful. It's made me more confident in who I am and how to find those answers. But I think the biggest thing that people suffer from, buddy, and, and I want to hear your take on this, is like, how do I find purpose? Right? Like, I'm stuck in a rut, man. Like, I'm going to be a victim. And, you know, life wasn't fair to me here. My my spouse wasn't fair to me there. Or my coworkers weren't for And now, oh, man, I just don't know what to do. Or maybe somebody, their parent or somebody, when they were young, told them that they had no value. You know? We're poor. You can never rise and be better. You can't change your in life in America, man. You're always going to be this way.
0: Right. Right? Yeah.
1: And um, I found ways to help people find purpose. But what do you think it is? Like, how do you really sit somebody down and go, man, you can take your life from just kind of being a bobber to like putting the motor in the water and go for it.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to say this and I, you know, I, I, for everyone that's listening, I hope that you hear for you that know me, you'll know you hear my heart, right? For people that don't like trust that th- this is just with good intent. Um, and if you can't, well, I hope you do, or just, listen to something else. But I, I think that there's a lot of definitions for our feelings these days more than there ever has been. Uh, I think what's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. Like if you go take something that's not yours, that's wrong. You go steal it. You do something like that. That's why we have laws. Mm-hmm. I think that if you, if I was evaluated, I'm sure, I would have had several different things that they could have given me pills for. That never happened to me. But I feel that in a lot of different areas, you probably know where I'm going with this, is that there there are a lot of people that say, hey, you have this deficiency and you need this. Well, drugs and pills can only help so much. What helped me was the outdoors. That gave me purpose. I do have a hard story, I and you've heard my testimony. And a lot of people that do know me have heard my testimony. I tried committing suicide when I was 17, and the gun literally just didn't go off. So I went through the whole phase. But, like, the mountains and... A bigger purpose. For me, it's God, it's my faith, and I don't push that on anybody. I can give you all the reasons for me of why that's true and why that's there. But then when, and I'll try to say this without so getting choked up, but like when we had Aiden, you know, Aiden, Aiden changed everything. And I said it in this film, it's like, I didn't, I never, like, the idea of being a father was one of the best great things, but it also scared the crap out of me because I didn't want to damage, I knew the damage that I had gone through. Yeah. And again, I love my dad. It's just, he grew up in a really hard time. And when you hear his story, it's even worse than mine and you know just craziness. But it's like, there's too much that you can point to an excuse to. And I feel that so many people do try to play that victim card. I think there's a couple things. When there is an issue, call it out, find a container with the right people. You don't need to blast it all over the world and Um, if it's a story that helps people, great. Like when I told my testimony for the first time, I felt so embarrassed. I felt like a coward. Uh, and then before I knew it, Jim Bergen at our church was like, bro, like we have all these people, all these men reaching out. And some of them were like in their seventies. So then for me, I got more comfortable with sharing that story, but not from a victim mentality, more from like, Hey, this is some of the crap that I've gone through. This is how God brought me out of it. I think, I don't want to sound like I'm being too hard on people or or judgmental, but there are people that got, they were brought up and they were told that they were a loser or they were no good. Negative, negative, Straight negative. Up. Yep. Uh, there's therapy for that. There's uh, church groups for yeah, you know, and there's a lot of different or there's just brotherhood. Like I've seen guys that have become hunting partners and buddies, and they go up to the mountains and they have a hunt, regardless of you know they harvest anything. It's like man, this is my tribe. These are my people, 100%. and Find the right people where you can get that stuff off your chest, but then lay it down and lay it down for good. Put it in yeah. the dirt and be done with it. You gotta You've got to walk away from it. You've got to walk away from it. Because what will happen if you don't, and then you start incorporating substance like alcohol or too much social time, now we're going to dive into that a little bit, yeah. you can ruin yourself. It,
1: it'll define you.
0: Well, And then it ruins you. For sure. And there's been, I've had a I don't feel like I've gotten a lot of grace in that. Like I've had a lot of people in my life that because they know I go to church, they'll ask me for, you know, advice or, Hey, will you pray for our, we're going through a tough time. Sure. But I went through a season where I had some things and alcohol was bringing some of that up and I became real angry and uh, not Mm level-headed. And because Mm -hmm. I felt like I was part of a community, again, being careful who you put yourself around immediately, the wolves came out within my own community. Oh yeah. And again, not playing the victim card i'm just stating a fact this yep. is just what happened so it brought me through a place where there was some damage along the way uh hurt feelings relationships cut off but man like it's like when you're clear-headed all that and you zoom out you you can refocus and look at things and say you know what how can i move forward i can't keep looking back there's some unfortunate things that you know relationships that i wish were still there but all I can do is I can lay it out. And I, and I've done this with people. I've gone and said, Hey, listen, I'm sorry. I I can own this, but regardless if they accept that or not, that's not on me. You got to lay your stuff down. Yep. Yeah. You, you know, um, I guess recovery or full circle doesn't always happen, but what you can do is only control you. One of my good friends, you know, Willie Schmidt mm-hmm. with pure hunting. He's always said, all you can do Santino is control what you do. You can't control anyone else. That's right. And that's some of the best advice I've ever gotten. So to end my rant, I think it's like I think it's something that's very powerful that you have to learn how to lay your stuff down and then move forward. It's the only way out.
1: As I said, it'll just define you, you know. And, and I'm actually coming through that myself. Uh, I had the last five years for me had just been a crucible, man. Like I'm just a hot piece of gold in a big ass crucible, just getting fired and just getting beat. And man, there's been times in the last five years I thought about like I couldn't take it anymore. I didn't want to be on this planet anymore. Mm. And, you know, how do you get through that? Uh, all the things that you just said were true, you know? And one of the things that, that I did was really just kind of hone in on what my purpose is, you know? And I, and I started with like, what's the most raw thing that I want? The most raw thing. And that was to be a conservationist. Like I want to make sure that all the things that I enjoy are around for my daughter and my buddies, daughters and sons, so they can enjoy it the way that, I've enjoyed it because the outdoors have been my therapy period like days that I have hard days in the summer in Fort Collins where I'm dealing with really tough challenges and work strategy and stuff like that. You know what I do? I go up the Poudre Canyon. I take off my shoes and I put my feet in the river. Why? Cause I take it in, man. I feel the essence of God. I feel the essence of the universe, whoever your God is right. But I feel that, that energy and that vibration and that grounding to help me take a deep breath and go, dude, this is going to pass, man. Like, I'm going to get through this. Like, it's just a small challenge today, right? But when I leave here, what really matters is all this. Like, I want to make sure all this is preserved so everybody can enjoy it the way that I do. You know, leave no trace, put your fire out, all that kind of stuff. And being in the snake pit of investing, like, it's the complete opposite of outdoors, you know? Um, and I'm, and I'm trying to find a way to like, you know, cultivate more of a client base that loves to do the things that I do, but really like, um, finding my purpose to, um, get up with the purpose every day is just that conservation thing. And then how do I get involved? And so for people that are listening, that are kind of like out there floating around going, you know, I know I love to hunt. I know I love to fish. Um, but I don't really, you know, get up every day and like. I'm more like regretting that I got to go to work or I'm more like putting up with the suffrage of work so I can get to what my true passion is. Like have the courage to sit down with a notepad and be quiet. Get your dogs out of the room, get your spouse out of the room, get your kids out of the room. And it might take you an hour or two to really kind of decompress, take that notepad down and write down what's most important to you as a person. I think, from having this discussion with lots of folks, there's a lot of people out there that don't have the courage to sit down and really reflect on who they are, what they want out of life. And, and what's bothering them. Right? Like, I don't know anybody that I could talk to and say, dude, is there anything that's bothering your life? And they go, no, dude, it's perfect. Right. I got nothing. It's all good. And so if you're the type of person like me who kind of tends to self isolate, which I do not good, It's not a good thing to self-isolate. How do guys like me handle that stuff? And that's really to have like courageous criticism of yourself, because if you don't, then you can't sit in front of the mirror and go, how do I get out of it, right? You're at a dead-end job or you're at a job that you don't like or you're in a career you don't like. How do you get out of it, right? It might take you a year. It might take you two years, but if you don't have hope, you're gonna just go into the sea of depression. You're gonna get caught into a sea that you can't get out of and that leads to drugs and alcohol leads to people being emotionally unstable or out of control. Right. And that was one of the biggest reasons I quit drinking alcohol, man. If I look back on it now and I not started alcohol, that was a part of my familial culture since I was a kid, man. Like they all drank wine. I was crazy Italians, you know, they drank wine and drink beer all the time. You know, I would have a beer at 16 after I got done mowing the grass. Like that to me now is like confusing. And the whole reason I quit drinking alcohol was because I had an experience in 2020, right during COVID, I was on vacation with my wife and my daughter and we've been having a good time on vacation and uh, we were drinking a lot during the day. And all of a sudden we're getting alerts like you better get out of Mexico because president Trump might close the borders, right? Or you might get stuck where your flight lands. And so I'm calling like some of my buddies that were in the military and they're, and they're like, you better get out of there. You better get out of there now. Like, this is unknown. We don't know if you get stuck there forever. All we know is, like, you don't want to get stuck in a third-world country with your kids and your wife not knowing what's going to happen. And so, you know, I'm telling my wife, like, I'm buying this one-way ticket. We're getting out of here today. And she's like, no, I'm cool. Like, it's going to be fine. And we're drinking, and I lost my temper. And I said some things to my wife in a tone that I should never have. And we're in our room. Thank God our daughter was, you know, we sent her down to the pool to go get some stuff from us and we're having an adult conversation. Well, guess what? Thank God the person next to us heard me shouting at my wife. I've never yelled at my wife. Shouting at my wife. Called security. And security came to the door. Knocks on the door and I opened the door and the first thing I thought was, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill that dude behind you. And that's not me, dude. Hmm. And I'm capable. Yep. Very. And when I had that thought, thank God he came into my brain and was like, dude, that's not you, man. Say you're sorry. And I was like, I'm sorry. Everything's cool. The turn of the, Miss, Miss Jackson, are you all right? And she's like, I'm fine. We're just having a disagreement. Thank God that happened. But I came back from that experience going, you know what? I almost lost my wife because she was hot. We got home. She's like, I, I can't put up with you if you're going to be like this. Right. Yeah. Not that I'm consistently like that. But the one time that I was like that, she's like, that's not what I married. If you're going to be like that, I'm I'm leaving. I'm going to get a divorce. And I was like, holy cow. What am I doing? I'm choosing alcohol over the love of my life. I'm choosing alcohol over losing my reputation. Imagine if I was drinking and somebody in some public setting, you know, wanted to challenge me and I had too much to drink. Bad stuff's going to happen. Oh, it does all the time. Not to me anymore, dude. I came home, I'd been wanting to quit alcohol for like four or five years and just didn't have the purpose. Right. Didn't have the why. And I looked at my wife and I was like, dang, man, like the one person I don't want to disappoint in the world, my wife. And I totally let her down by talking some nasty shit to
0: her. What an incredible story, Matt, that you could share. I appreciate the transparency. Uh, I think the, the lesson to be learned with that is like, don't ever feel like it's too late to be vulnerable. 100% man. I think that's the
1: most powerful thing that we can tap into. I mean, you you nailed it. Vulnerability is something that we really have to embrace and accept, accept. because without being vulnerable, like th- there's no path to self-improvement because you have no ability to self-analyze where you're at and you have to be vulnerable in order to do that. Right. You know, um it's going back to Brazilian jiu-jitsu man, like you you are analyzing your skills not only your skills, but your emotional state, your mental state all the time. And if you're not vulnerable with who you really are, you're going to get flattened like a pancake, man. You're going to get strangled over and over and over again. And I've been able to carry that into you know, my professional and, and personal life. And that is like, you know, <laughs> with one of my businesses, it's called 401k Maneuver. My partners and I, back in 2017 through 2022, built a revolutionary 401k management software, uh, platform. And, you know, without, without the ability to self-analyze what we're doing, like we would never have made those, those improvements. And, you know, to sit down and, and say like, I'm the best. And, and I know all everything, like you're never going to learn from people like yourself or the people that you're interviewing and ego is a bad thing, man. Um, I've been a victim of it where, You know, I think I know best. I'll say unhealthy ego. Unhealthy ego is a bad thing. But what really tempers that is that vulnerability to say, man, like I what's more important? That I'm right or I'm getting better? What's more important? Do you always want to be right? Are you that type of person in the room? Or you just want to get through it and get to the end of the mission or be a better person? What's the best result for you? For me, it's not being right. 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 I was lucky enough to have when I started my entrepreneurial uh, journey back when I was in my early twenties to meet a guy who was making about $40 million a year. And he was like, what would you rather be right or rich? <laughs> I'm like, I'll be rich. <laughs> I don't have to be right. 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 And I'm just a knucklehead, man. So when we were starting 401k maneuver, we've done over 200 videos on financial services on YouTube. Some of them have 20 views. Some of them have tens of thousands of views. But I remember when I started that process, it was miserable, dude. Like, I wasn't pretty enough. I didn't speak well enough. I looked horrible on camera. I didn't have the credibility, blah, blah, blah. But you know what the truth is? It's like, people don't care, man. They want to see your authentic self, right? And I had to get over myself in order to be successful, right? I was standing in my own way. And when I learned how to be vulnerable and accept me for who I was, it's all that I am, man.
0: Well, you know I love you, but I think that the... the um emotion or the thing that I read through that is insecurity that you had insecurity Mm -hmm. even through your confidence, which again, I have, I've had a ton of that. (laughs) And we were like, well, you're like, you're the guy you, you make this happen. It's like, doesn't matter. There was something that happened. Now, again, I'm not playing the victim, but there there's just stuff I have to work through. And when you can put that in front of you, Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I've heard like through some of the work and things that I've done. It's like, when you know what your thing is, if it's insecurity, if it's fear or a combination of all that, Put that right in front of you yeah. and look at it. Yep. When you look at it, it's a little bit different. Like even, I'm going to say I was insecure about doing a podcast, but it was more, this is a passion project and I got to put my family first. Me doing this is kind of, it, it's amazing to hear the feedback, all the things and the voices that were in my head about it in just a few episodes. People were like, this rocks, like this is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to sit into that and feel more comfortable with that, which yeah, you know, I'm thankful for. Her, but more than anything, if there's anything that I can bring someone on and they can change someone's life, because that's what I feel helps. It's human testimony. Because yeah, you're a guy. Like I'm happy that you weren't sitting on the back wall that day when I met <laughs> you at the CBA banquet. But we just clicked. Yep. And uh, I think you should be doing that more because you just have a uh, contagious spirit aura about you. When you talk, people listen. When I filmed you. Like, it was so easy for the CBA video. I'm like, this guy, Yeah, you know, not only are you well-spoken, but you're just passionate about what you're doing, kind of like a Dan Gates. Like, it just comes right out of you, which yeah. I think is great. But it's because you've been to the dark side and back.
1: I have been to the dark side, like super dark. And thanks for recognizing that. You know, I think that what I have done in my life in my own way is available to everybody, every single person, every young person, every old person, male, female. I don't care your race, your color what happened to you in the past, like greatness is available to you in this country right here, the United States of America, because education right now is free in the form of the internet. Dude, I'm always on the internet reading, leveling up, getting better, researching things that I want to be competent on, finding new thought processes, like always doing that stuff, man. But being ignorant is really expensive. It's the most expensive thing that, that you're going to experience in your life, not going out and finding free education. And I'm a big, even to my own wife and my own daughter, I'm always like, you guys should be searching for things that you're passionate about. And there's your coaches right there on the internet. I'm a big proponent of my daughter, not being required to go to college. That's kind of an odd thing to say, especially from somebody who's been accomplished in business like me. Right. Mm -hmm. What I'm more in favor of her doing your son's doing. People that are listening to this podcast doing is finding experts in the field that they're interested in or they're deficient in and learning from them. I've spent hundreds of thousands. This is no joke, dude. Hundreds of thousands of dollars the last twenty years of my own professional education. Been away from my family for weeks traveling to listen to people speak. Right? Why am I a good public speaker? Because I learned how to do public speaking. I paid thirty five hundred dollars for a weekend speaker training. It's awesome. Who else would do that? I hope everybody would do that, right? Right. But the reason why I did it was because when I do have something to say, I want it to be powerful. I want it to be impactful. But more importantly, I want people to be able to lean into me and say, you know, that's a trustworthy source, right? I'm not stuttering and saying um and uh and all that stuff, right? I have an insecurity about public speaking. I never wanted to speak in front of anybody, even in front of my own teammates when I was younger, right? At school when I was younger you know, my brother and I had a contentious relationship and I think that carries into me now. Right. Like he was older than me, used to beat the snot out of me until I finally turned the tables on him. Right. But still it has an impact on me now. Like, am I worthy? Right. Like, Oh, people are going to judge me or, you know, I'm going to wind up getting the hammer for this, you know, and finally I stepped into it It was like, Nope, I'm going to get the training and I'm going to step into it and just do the best job I can. For sure. Right. And, and really be passionate. Uh, for anything that I do. And and I hope that anybody that's listening to this podcast is really, um, sensitive to the tone inflection that I have when I talk about things that I'm passionate about.
0: Well, I would also encourage people watch the podcast we have. We're on YouTube and then even on Spotify it's night. We upload it via video, watch it. We'll put clips out on it and do all that. But I think when I, you're one of those people, there are special people that you meet in life and there are certain ones that when you talk to you, they make you feel like you're the only one in the room. You have that ability. Not only do you speak very well and communicate with a lot of passion, but you listen. And I think that's, that's something that gets stepped over a lot.
1: Oh, man. There's so many conversations I have that I'm looking in people's eyes and they're not hearing a dang thing I'm saying.
0: What do you think that is? Ego.
1: Okay. They have their own agenda, right? They want something from me. What can I get out of Matt Jackson? Right. My question when I'm working with somebody is like, how can I help you? I'm fine, dude. Like I'm marching my own drum. I'm a. I got. I got my own deal going on. But I was put in front of you, third person, for a reason. How can I help you? And maybe we can help each other, right? But there's so many people out there, man. They're just self agri ag, How do you say that word? Agendas, Aggregendized? They're
0: self-absorbed. Uh, self-absorbed. Yeah. They're
1: self-absorbed, right? And and when they're conversation, having a conversation with you, it's not about us. It's about them. For sure. I get rid of those people quick, man. I don't got any time for that. I want compassionate, passionate people who know how to get the job done. I don't really care about accolades. I would love being a backbencher. I'd rather be the guy in the back room pulling the strings rather than the guy in the front of the mic. Um, but I'll do it if I have to to help people. Sure, right? I- I'll put myself in that uncomfortable situation to inspire people.
0: And you do a great job in that already, but I think that I'm going to put another challenge out there for people like within our space. You know our space. You're getting to learn it more from being in the CBA. But there needs to be like the I, – I think the theme of like, hey, I don't have to walk out of this being right. There's legislation stuff where everyone has their own deal, but – everyone just kind of makes an action before listening and getting the education before they speak about something. Dan and I had this conversation about the whole trophy hunting initiative. Everyone kind of loses their mind, and then they just put out there, whether which it is copy when you put it on social media. Like, social media is not just little videos of people dancing anymore. It It, it means something. Words matter. What you say matters. So if you don't know what you're saying, like, if you can't even – Tell anybody what the Robert Pittman's act is like you probably shouldn't be talking about legislation with hunting anyways. But nonetheless, like it would be like going up to a black belt and saying, hey, let me show you something. (laughs) But you don't even have a white belt. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. And I think that there is something there. There's like this uh, maybe a force would be the right way for me to like define it, that there's this force. And I think this is this is overall a lot of things. It's in marriages at home. It's in uh, father or parenting mess or uh, relationships, but there's this like cloud over us. That I feel like I've been in those p- positions and I'm I'm guilty of it too, where I was just trying to prove something mm. and that comes from my past mm. and I had to get over that. Someone, a, f- a few men in my life had to say, Santino, just so you know, you're awesome and I love this about you. And I, you don't see the value in you and that's why you're still trying to find it and you can step over people that way and I'm guilty of that. Mm. And, I, and I'm saying that because I want to be transparent. I want to be vulnerable and let people know, like, it's okay to say, dang it, I screwed up. I could have done that better. Yeah. I could have been, or just like your Mexico situation, I, you could have done that a lot better. I could have done a lot of things better. But the reality is we're people. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have like a brotherhood of accountability, yep. man, it's, and and sisterhood, you know, just a community of that. It takes a tribe. It does. And with all these initiatives that we're doing, there's so much help and available availability out there for everybody. But if you just can't take that first step and like listen before you speak, man. It's one of the things I learned about speaker training is like you need
1: to practice what you're going to say before you say it when you're in public because what you said is earlier is so true. Like they words have repercussions, man, right? I'm just releasing a masterclass right now about the subliminal art of sales. It's called Build Trust Faster, Make More Money. And that the whole premise of that is you're more powerful than you know in ways that you don't even know that you're communicating to people subliminally, right? And I'm a big believer in the rising tide, all ships rise together. I've been saying that at the CBA forever. And it's my privilege and I'm very proud of our organization that allows me to bring the skills that I've learned in Wall Street and marketing, digital marketing for our community's benefit, right? And I've had some people say, you know, you think you know everything because you're telling us how to do everything. And my reply is like, listen, man, when you got more street cred than me, I'll listen to you. Sure. Right? You become number one bestseller. You've been published three dozen times in national you know, outlets. You've, you've run a successful business. You've been a team leader. You've helped improve other people's lives. I'll totally listen to you. But if you're going to talk smack about me because you're jealous of the ass kicking that I'm putting on this, I ain't listening to that. I'm not even listening to the criticism. People have a hard time with that. Isn't that interesting?
0: Well, absolutely. But how? what are your, I guess, what's some gold that you could give us on that now? How do you not listen to the criticism? Uh, I have my feet planted firmly on the ground knowing who I am, what I'm capable, what I'm not
1: capable of, and what I need help with, right? I'm terrible with media. Like, I'm terrible with graphics. So I'm going to call somebody and Ask them for help. One of the things that I said with all the humility in the world, when I start with the CBA, people are going to laugh at this when they, when they hear this, I'm a horrible bow hunter, but I love bow hunting. I'm sure your sons have more kills with their archery tackle than I do. Why did I get involved in the CBA? Because I'm a conservationist, man. That's why you never will see me writing an article about my bow hunting accolades. You know why? Cause I'm a bad bow hunter. So I'm not going to tell anybody how to bow hunt. I'm not going to tell Joe Bradley, Nathan Anderson, Justin Davis, trust any of those. I'm not going to tell any of them out of, I'm going to feature them and have a really good time hearing their story. But when it comes to putting a magazine together and telling the story and organizing the composition, you're talking to the man, period.
0: That's <laughs> I love it, that. man. And that's that healthy ego. Like, you know who you are. Right. And I think it's, uh, it's just something that a little, a humble pie goes a long way. And I think that we're living in a time now because there is so much information and words do matter. Like even within our own community, like there's stuff that we've put out with some of these reels with the trophy hanging initiative and people are arguing over, well, why should this person get the credit? Like we're like, it is a letdown because we are missing it. Like that doesn't, 100%. that doesn't matter. That I don't, does not matter. yeah. I don't care if it was Ricky Lake that said, Hey, why don't, you know why doesn't Dan Gates come on and talk about what this is let's go mm-hmm. right those are platforms and bigger things that like we need to put the unhealthy part of the ego more than anything like the judge like when did we ever become licensed or credited to judge like that that's scary scary territory when you start pointing the finger because you know what i've seen people that are up on the highest mountain that never point the finger and they keep climbing. Yeah, and then the ones that do, they point the finger and they lose balance and they fall yep. down. Yep. Well, <laughs> like that's just life. It's gonna take guys that have your mentality, my mentality, that are gonna have to pick
1: up the spear and lead the way. And the people that wanna do it for their own ego or for their laundry list on their resume, like they're gonna fall to the wayside. For sure. Truly, man. Like when I see those people in the room with me, I can point them out like quickly. And when it comes to my turn to speak, I'll be patient for my turn to speak. But I'm going to put those guys in their place, not because I'm going to talk smack to them, but just because I'm going to say, "Wait a minute, why aren't we? Why aren't we all sharing the glory here? This right. not about you, right?
0: And I'll share all my knowledge with everybody if it, if it's going to rise the tide." Yeah, and the, we have to again. There, there's leaders that go first right? And we're surrounded by a few of those people that are doing it. And you, you have to get behind and support mm-hmm. because if not, it affects everybody. Mm-hmm. So even the guy that does fall down, the, I think the frustrating thing is it's like, man, you're already up here and you're pointing the finger and, and, and going to fall down. We're going to have to pick you back up because we we don't have the luxury of numbers. We, we don't have enough people doing it. Or at the time, we don't have enough people that care. I was talking with Dan. He goes, you know how many hunts I've been on in the last couple of years? Like maybe five or six, Because he quit hunting to focus on this. Well. Me too. Yep. and Seriously. And that creates conviction. Or for people to know what that is, I just feel bad because it's like, what can I do to give back and help out? And I think there's a lot of people that kind of get stuck there.
1: They do. And they don't want to get caught in the trap that Dan Gates is in or I'm in, which is, hey, man, like I have a sense of commitment that I'm going to follow through on this. And so if I have to cut my hut short, that's just the way it is. And I think there's a lot of people that pause and go, man, I really want to volunteer, but I don't want to get caught in that sea of energy where now I have to shorten what I'm really passionate about. And what I would say to those people that are listening that are on that fence, um, follow the side of the fence. And, and even if you can volunteer one to two hours a week, a week, that'd be awesome. One to two hours a month. That's awesome. And it's as simple as this. Go to your local archery shop on a Saturday morning, man, and watch kids shoot and help them. Right? And ask the bow shop owner or whoever you're buying your sporting goods for. Hey, man, any opportunity I can give a talk on leave no trace, right? Or how to put out a forest fire or how to do some tracking. You know, I look back at the CBA and the past magazines and a lot, there was a lot of community involvement by a lot of our legacy board members, which was total community involvement, actually talking to people, eyeball to eyeball, pulling a string with them, loading a bolt with them, right? Cleaning a gun with them. Do you see that much anymore? Not a lot. It's available to us. We just have to have someone pick that up and actually do it. I think it's, you know, in the day and age of social media, it's easy for somebody to pull out their cell phone and go, let me show you how to do this. But guess what? It never replaces the face-to-face contact. One of the best privileges I get being the executive editor of the CBA magazine is I get to hang around the best bow hunters in the world. I have the best owners in the world calling me from time to time. If I wasn't the editor of the magazine, do you think any of those people would ever call me? Probably not. Never. <laughs> and I don't blame them, right? I don't blame them at all. But here's a cool thing about volunteering. You want to level up your game on something you're passionate about? Volunteer where you find those people, and then you get personal contact with them, right? You think Nathan Anderson, who was one of three men to complete the North American Super Slam, with traditional archery gear is ever going to get on social media no but you can go to a cba banquet or a pope and young banquet and find him there and and you'll talk you'll talk with him as much as you want to talk right yeah that's why you want to volunteer there is a benefit there is a positive side of volunteering it doesn't have to consume you right right and you walk away with a sense of like wow man i got gratitude for sure Right? I made a difference. I'm making a difference. And it's very little. Here's one interesting thing that I learned about the opposition, if that's the best way that I can put it. When the first legislation was introduced two years ago to ban mountain lion, bobcat, and lynx hunting, I got a phone call and somebody sent me the press release that Defenders of Wildlife put out. And they were just crazy, Santino. They were like, oh, my God, we're going to lose. How is this going to happen? This is, this is the end of the world. We'll never beat these people. And then I picked up the press release and I read it. And I was like, dude, this is exactly how I would write this if I was your opposition. And this is how easy it is to overcome. Right. Facts. Get rid of the emotion. Facts. Add our own emotion. Add some kids in there. We win. Guess what? We did very easily, right? The disparity of like, man, I'm a, I'm a big, tough bow hunter who won't stand up for what they believe in because they're worried about the opposition. Here's what I learned about the opposition. It's like two or three crazy cat ladies out of Boulder who are trying to tell you that you can't hunt. Really? If you saw that person on the street, would you be intimidated? Not at all. No, but guess what? N- not seeing them on the street, people are intimidated. That's ridiculous. Like, if we got a group of 100 bow hunters or 100 sports people together, those two or three people, they go away in two or three encounters. That's the crazy thing that people that are listening to this don't understand, bud. Well,
0: the whole wolf thing. Ugh. Wolves being introduced, we barely missed that. Now, what I will say, I have told you the story that we were at a, we were watching a game somewhere and I had this uh, shirt that had a wolf on the back of it, but it had nothing to do with, like, introduction of wolves or anything like that. It was just... And the lady was like, oh, aren't you excited about the wolves coming to Colorado? I said, I'm going to be transparent. No. And she asked why. And like her sister, somebody was on the board of PETA, like at least locally. And by the time I finished my explanation of conservation, the model, she was almost in tears. And she poked me in the chest, which I don't like, but she's a little old lady. And I, I, as she said, where were you in this message before I voted? And it, it created this realization That because we get caught up and this isn't just the hunting space. There's a lot of spaces, you know, for, for stuff like this. We get like, were you vaccinated? Were you not? Like we, we argue about things that like in 10 years or even arguably a five years don't matter. Um, And I'm not saying that COVID doesn't matter. Like hear me wrong, but I'm just using that as an example. We get caught up in our little tiny bubbles Mm -hmm. and we completely forget the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of people get stuck And kind of how we started this conversation, this mindset of this younger generation that, and there's that younger generation from 20, 30 years ago, they're adults and they will not a bend the knee or be vulnerable. And what they're missing out on, it does affect us. Not as much as it affects them. And that to me is like super sad. You know, it's
1: crazy. People ask me like, Hey Matt, how is it that you have this long laundry list of stuff on your resume that you've accomplished and done? Like, did you have a serious intention to do it? And I'm like, No, dude, I just had a purpose of being the best that I can be. I wanted to see how far I could take it. And I looked back at it at 52. I'm like, dang, like, that's a long list. And my daughter is intimidated by it. And I keep telling her, like, you got to be you. You got to do you. But if you're passionate and you have a purpose at 17, imagine where you'll be at 20. Imagine where you'll be at 23. Imagine where you'll be at 33. Like, you're going to have a long laundry list of accomplishments yourself, but they'll never happen if you don't define who you are and what you want out of life. Right. What's important to you. And I have a lot of regret over the root, the wolf deal because it wasn't even on my radar. Wasn't even on, I knew it was an issue, but I didn't know that I could get involved and make an impact like I did with Hunter orange, like I did with the other projects that I've worked on. That thing was easily beatable and we were asleep at the, at the wheel. And I hope that our community, the people that are listening to this go, I'm never sleeping at the wheel again. Right. It's easy to win. The CBA, not because I got involved, but since I've been involved, I've been watching their outcomes. The only thing that matters to me, bud, is outcomes. I want results. I don't need an award. I don't even need money. I'm fine there. I want results. Right. And I look at what the CBA has done in the last four years. It's been win, 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 win. But yet our membership goes, what does the CBA do for me? And I'm like, are you not paying attention?
0: Uh, it what does CRWM
1: do, do for me? Are you not paying attention? Like Dan said, if people would just spend even a quarter of a time researching politics, which is easy, comparative to what they do spending planning their hunts, we would not be here. The anti-hunters, the opposition, the lawyers from Harvard and Yale and from D.C., they would know that's one thing we're never going to touch because they've got science and they got numbers on their side. All we need is more numbers. We've got the science. The North American model has done all the hard work. Our biologists, our CPW officers, our staff at the CPW has done all the work. People from People from around the world look at us and go, that's how you have healthy animal populations. The North American model. We have that in our back pocket. We just need people that are listening to this podcast go, you know what? I'm putting my foot down today. I'm going to make a commitment to myself. I'm going to grab a sticky note and I'm going to say, I will help. And then find a way to help. Listen, because you might call a volunteer organization and say, I want to help. And they, you may not hear from them for a month. You know why? Because they're all volunteers, man. And they're like doing all they can and their jobs that they can, uh, they can do to make their impact. And they may not get back to you for a week or a month. Don't let that discourage you. Right, even if you raise your hand twice, I want to help, and somebody doesn't offer a viable it find a way, find the people, for sure. Right? It's I did. If I can do it, you can do it. Dan can do it. There are so many positive people out there. I look at Instagram when I'm bored, and I look at all these people having great hunts. They got big followings, but they're missing the fact that all that could go away in five years. The thing that you're passionate about, shooting Hoyt bows or Matthew bows, going on sheep hunts going on muley hunts. Dude, that could all be gone in five years.
0: For sure. If we don't show up. It could be like a hunting pandemic. Dude. Uh, uh, and that's the thing. Like, that's that's part of our business. A lot of our clients I mean, that we create media for are in the hunting space. So we're very vested and interested. But I'm a native to Colorado, and I love being able to go on public land, even if it's not just for hunting, just to enjoy it. Right? Too. Just, And I think that's what a lot of people miss. Like, the minute that hunting is gone or licenses go down – the financial benefit, there might be more public land that gets bought up because now the federal government's looking at it like, hey, we're not making any money off hunting. Why don't we sell off this piece of land, right? That's possible.
1: It's 100% possible, and that's a dirty little secret. Like, we get rid of hunters. How are we going to fund the biologists, like Dan has pointed out? How are we going to fund the staff? You're not going to do it through recreation, bud. You're not. And here's the point. My neighbor, lover to death, great yoga gal, very uh, – righteous person meaning like she really cares about people and stuff like that we had a discussion about what hunting means to colorado and the revenue that it brings to our cpw and she was like i had no idea i thought you guys just killed stuff i mean you're you're pulling the bulk of the weight raising most of the money through tags and through charity and all the things that you guys do you're actually stewards of the land And i said let me ask you a question when was the last time you picked up a piece of trash on the trash She's like i don't even know you should do that right? I'm like, how much do you pay to go hike the trails of Colorado anywhere you want to go? Oh, it's like $15. I'm like, do you feel an obligation to kick in some extra of your own money voluntarily to help make sure that we got a beautiful landscape and like all of our animals have breeding grounds and calving grounds that aren't, you know, aren't affected by mountain bikers and hikers? Why would I want to do that? However, when I turned the table and said, would you be willing to help if you had a way to do it would you? Well, absolutely. Right? So we have a messaging problem. And I think guys like you, organizations like yours and others can help crystallize that, me- that message. And until we are all speaking the same thing, we're never going to be effective. And the proof is that I was able to bring the strategy to the CBA, form a small team, Joey Brown, Henry Ferguson, Trevin Stolzfuss. They were kind of my marching guys. Formed a strategy of one consistent message for less than a week. We got 11,000 hunters involved in three days. Two of us had COVID and it was over New Year's. How do you do that, dude? Consistent message. Right. At a focused point of time.
0: But also with, you know, like you bring up Trevin Solskis. I know Trevin and like what he's been able to contribute all across the board. Heck of a creative guy. You know, I went to. I think that that was the only film school I went to for the outdoor space. And he's unbelievable, knows how to tell a story. And I think when you have the right team, but then more than anything, you have people that can listen. Yeah. You know, you have a great group of guys. And that'll stop in the middle of what they're doing, especially for causes like this, and listen. And wider than the footprint of hunting. like We're, we're very passionate about that because there's some stuff happening right now, especially going into 2024, yep. that are issues. Yep. These are just good lessons in life. And what I like, you don't need the money. You're not doing it for those things. Like, I like the fact, I don't think you're a bad bow hunter, but I know what you're saying. Like, you're a new, newer bow hunter and all that kind of stuff and just trying to figure that out. But that's not why you do it. Like, this isn't, that's the part of the ego where I think people get in trouble, right? I'm doing this so I can get credit. And that's, that's, that's the different mentality. And that's where you display that very clearly, very effectively. And you're more just, if anything, just a man of action, which I respect and appreciate. hundred
1: percent, man. I got no skin in the game. I I didn't make no money off of anything that I do for the CBA. I've got no business in the outdoor space, none of it, you know, but I'm passionate about protecting the men and women who have businesses in this space, you know, in my space, uh, the financial services, you know, I'm a part of our, our organizations, right. Because we want to make sure that there's legislation that's making it easier for investors to get what they want, right? Not less, not more restrictive, right? And there's big money firms out there that want to make it harder for people to be successful at the game so they can keep more of their own money, right? We're involved to make sure that that doesn't happen. So then how can we do that in our space, right? The outdoor space. And I think I do have a little bit of a unique advantage when it comes to being in this space. And that is I can actually, number one, I have the courage to do it. I will speak the truth about the industry because I don't have any vest. Ain't nobody paying me. Right. And when I first started in this four years ago, I looked around the industry and a lot of the influencers and I was like, man, there's a bunch of people that are greedy. They're only taking, 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 and they're not giving back. That to me ain't right. And I look at even some of the big retailers, you know, they're, they're taking money. They're taking money. They're taking money. And I ask, why doesn't this retailer or this manufacturer jump in? Well, they're worried about politics. Really? Really? If they don't jump in, they're going to lose their business in five to ten years. For sure. Well, we'll just scale it back. Is that what you really want to do? So you're here to make money, but you're not passionate about the industry and about the lifestyle? I'm passionate about the lifestyle.
0: Well, the whole scale back comment is like says no successful business owner ever. You know, ever Like certain brands are owned by like huge entities and the people who are running those entities, they're not thinking about scaling back. They're thinking how they can scale up Mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. Right. That's just a, that's just a healthy business model if you're in business. Yep. So, well, if you're not growing, you're dying. hundred percent. Absolutely. The one thing I want to bring up because I think you're 52. Yep. You said, so at 52, you bet your black belt in jujitsu kind of switching gears on that. Mm -hmm. I like it because You and I both have like that MMA passion, background, still training, doing all that kind of stuff. But why did you get into mixed martial arts or why'd you even, or just BJJ? Because you've done some hand stuff too, right? You've done some stand up a little bit. Yeah, I
1: grew up doing stand up. Okay. Um, I got involved in BJJ in 2010, um, just really as a personal release. You know, my family was going through some really hard times. We lost a daughter and I lost a business because of it and lost myself, man. Almost had like a. Well, some of my closest friends said, dude, you had like a mental breakdown and, and I was angry. I lost everything. The police didn't help my family. The legal legal justice system didn't help my family. Nobody. I was left alone. All these things that society says it's going to help protect you insurance. You know, I had to suffer through an illness, the one illness that insurance doesn't pay for. And I had every insurance known to man. So I pay all out of pocket, like ridiculous. And one day, man, I just wandered into the BJJ Academy. Like, I love to play rough. I like to fight. I like to mix it up, right? It's just me. Um. And I went in there. I went into McMahon Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu on, on uh, North College uh, in Fort Collins. And it was the best thing for me, man. Like, I found a good community of people where I could get my anger out of me in a controlled way where I wasn't hurting anybody. Yeah. Right? And I could train hard. And I've been a gym rat all my life. So like the first seven years that I trained, I was in there five to six days a week, no fail. If I had an injury, I was still watching class. I would bring my daughter, two years old, man. I put her in her bassinet. When she was old enough to be out of it, man, I set up a little PlayStation for her, be like, okay, Ava, you gotta hang out here for an hour, hour and a half. I'll come in and check on you. And she would do her own deal for years. And uh, man, like I, I think everybody should test themselves. I think every man and woman out there on the planet should know what they're capable of and what they're not capable
0: of. Well, part of the bigger story, you know, I, I appreciate you sharing that. But when you started—you lost your daughter, and you 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 had this anger, and you had kind of felt like the story of Job, where everything was getting taken away from you. Damn. And I have you—you did talk to me about that when we first met, real briefly. And man, like, hey, I'm sorry. And like more than anything, I feel like it's where like I can just look at a guy across the table and say, I don't know what that was like. Mm -hmm. But if if anything, it makes me respect you more because I see how amazing you are. And I can see, you you know, I can see it in your eyes right now. But like you inspire me to be a better man. Mm, Thank you. Because like wouldn't know about the anger. I could sum up that there's some stuff there. But the way that you keep it on is like impressive Mm -hmm. because I have those days and I haven't. I haven't lost a child and I would be the worst idea of, of, having that happen. But it's, it, it's one of those things in those scenarios that I make up these little things that just become huge and big that mm. can overwrite my life. Yeah. Like how did, with jujitsu and other, some of the other things that you were going through, how did you really get through that? Cause I know the, I know the outlet was there. The physical outlet of putting yourself to exhaustion is absolutely there. Yeah. But mentally, yeah. spiritually, how did you get through that?
1: Um, I have an incredible partner, man. We just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary and <clears throat> excuse me. It's tough. Um, you're, you're good. Cause I'm a lover, man. Like I love people. I love helping people. I love people. The best feeling I get is when I watch people be successful. Cause I've been successful. I know how good that makes me feel. So I love watching people be successful. And I, you know, my wife and I were reflecting on this on vacation the last two weeks. And, uh, I just said, you know, um, There's no such thing as two perfect people. There's two people that refuse to give up on each other. That's powerful. My wife has never let go of my hand. And then the times that she was feeling like she was drowning, I was never letting go of her hand, right? And you got to have those people in your life, man. That's how you get through that stuff. She loves me for all my faults. And I love her for all. Just means a lot to me. you know. I love her for all of her thoughts. A friend of mine asked me uh, a month ago in front of her, what one thing would you change about your wife?
0: I'm uh, like, nothing. That's where you want to punch.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. Like, why would I'm you like, ask that question? There's nothing I would change about my wife, man. I love her for all of her imperfections. She loves me for all of mine. She's been my my rock star rock, dude. And she understands me and gets me better than anybody else. You know, um, some people would answer that question and be like, oh, my tribe at jujitsu, man, like they help me. Nah, dude, I'm a loner. Man, I would go there and train and yeah, I got my buddies on the mat, but when I went home it was like me and my wife, you know, when you're going through really tough times like that, it's it's definitely good to have, you know, people that inspire you to be better, not to talk about your problems, to just set them down for a little bit. And when you go do an activity like that, even shooting my bow, you can't think of anything else but shooting your bow or trying to strangle somebody, right? So it was like the the one two hours out of every day that I didn't have to suffer through that emotional pain, through that spiritual pain, right? And then um having my wife support me, you know, it was just huge. I, I'm a big believer in personal growth and development. And I'm a big believer that, you know, for some way, for some reason, like God put that situation in front of me to be a better person, man. You yeah. know, and um I've taken on some pretty big challenges in the past that wound up kind of blowing up in my face and, and required a lot more of my time than I thought it would take. And people were like, man, why don't you just quit? Just drop it. Just be done with it. And I'm like, no, man, I think the universe put that in front of me because they knew I was the only SOB that would fix that stinking problem. Right. Everybody else would run away from it like a fire. Like get me out of here. And, uh, I've got so much mental toughness from those experiences and just getting pounded on in BJJ. And so, you know, the, the, the strength of my wife having some good buddies, being able to put it down and then not blaming myself pretty big, you know? So if people are out there listening to this and they're going through similar experiences and I know, you know, like right now it's a really difficult time for people with mental health, man, I deal with it every day. You got to address it every day, man. That stuff doesn't go away, man. I have a morning routine, man, where I like pray and meditate. I ask myself what I want to accomplish that day. I work out, right? I do some reading, spend some time with my dogs, getting some love from them. And then I go out and rock it out. But guess what? Those demons, man, they're they're always nipping on my heels, nipping on my heels, nipping on my heels. And all I can do is like address them and recognize that they're there, but move on. And so, you know, if you got a listener that's, you know, going through a hard time, they're not alone. There's a lot of help out there, right? Mm-hmm. But more importantly, like, you, you got to believe in your own toughness, man. You got to believe in your own courage, and you got to help people. You got to find people that will help you build your courage, help you build your toughness. That's what grappling has done for me. Is like all those people that I've had contact with the last 14 years, man. Every single one of those people have a have put it layer of armor on
0: me. It's amazing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think about, uh, you know, like scripture, they talk about putting on the armor of God before you, you go out and you have to be able to do that. I think it's, I'm sitting here listening even through the interview, but I'm just being inspired just you know, I'm like soaking this in because it feels like even through some of the pain and suffering that you've had, like you're challenging me with things that I've gone through. And I mean, I'm thinking about stuff that's happened in my life. And I'm just being inspired like, and more than that, it's like, well, how can I apply that inspiration and continue to go on the path that I need to, that I know that I need to go is the way to put it. That's huge,
1: man. You know, a lot of people, they'll say the same thing. I'm inspired. You're, you're incredible and you're motivating. And um, the thing I say to them is like, what are you going to do when all the rah, rah, rah wears off, right? When you're left in your own thoughts, right? That's my challenge to you is like, are you going to, Sit down and write the things that you want to improve upon and then like work at it for the next 30 days, the next 45 days, next 60 days and celebrate your successes. Got to celebrate your successes, man. Yep. Otherwise, it's just you're just a, a mule harnessed to a yoke pulling that sucker. Right. You got to take the yoke off and celebrate. For sure. Absolutely. And so, you know, I challenge everybody that's listening to this. I challenge you. I challenge me every day. Like, what's the action I'm taking today to change my reality? Right. 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 I'm always changing my reality. It's crazy how I can shape my own reality when I put my mind to it. Mm-hmm. And I hope everybody that's listening to this, if wherever they're at, man, like they're inspired to change the reality for the positive. Right. Here's something that I could have done very easily when I was going through, and I'm just coming out of a really tough time, man. We had like 15 years of really tough times, other people's health problems, business problems. Me and my wife always been pretty cool, man.
0: Um I lost my train of
1: thought here. Now I got so much going through my. Well, you said like that this.
0: you just came out of another rough time.
1: Yeah, but before that, um, action—you know, changing your reality—is um, I could have been stuck and been a victim through all that stuff, right? But I was like, man, I'm not. This is not me. I'm a lover, man. Feeling angry all the time. I'm going to change that. So what did I do? I took action. I went and found Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Right? I was not a good public speaker. I was not a good copywriter. I was not a good author. So what did I do? I changed my reality and I found the people that could teach me how to be better at that. And I hope that, you know, through this podcast, because it's an inspirational podcast, you got inspirational people on it. I hope, you know, that I can live up to that and people actually take action. My biggest problem with people that go to events by these big motivational speakers, and I'm not going to name them, but you know who they are. They, they speak in, in stadiums. Is they're like, rah, 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 let's go storm the castle. And everybody leaves all pumped up. But then they hit the desk on Monday morning. They got no action plan. Right. What's the value in that? Yeah. To me, there's not a whole lot of value because remember what I said earlier, I'm results driven. Purpose. Nothing matters to me than purpose and results. You can't have results without a purpose. Right. So if you're this type of person that's listening to rah, rah, rah podcasts, but you're not doing the hard work on personal growth and development to find the tools that you need to use every single day that you can take action on, help your, your local community with what value is that?
0: Yeah, it, it it basically, it's just greatness that can fall on deaf ears. And that's, that's probably one of the hardest things I think with in, in starting this, everybody does have a story and it's just being able to tell it. And I think that's where, that's the way we're designed. We're not designed to isolate, even though we do, Mm -hmm. we're not designed to hate one another yet. We do, Mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're not designed for a lot of things. And if we would just give up the, the lies that were told to us in the past and you let that go, man, what a world, right? Going back to courage, letting that stuff go, right? Self-analyzation,
1: right? Being humble to be vulnerable, all the stuff that you just said.
0: For sure. Got to have it, man. Yeah. Well, kind of the, circle back and uh, close this up. I wanted to see like for twenty twenty four, what do you got cooking? You know, are there some or are there some things that you know that you wanna, you know, point to. Obviously we, we got an election year going on and we've talked about some of the hunting stuff with the trophy initiative. So we're okay. gonna I know that's all gonna be in the forefront, but yep. what do you have coming up for twenty
1: four? It's gonna be an awesome year, man. I'm I'm gonna go on a rampage in twenty twenty four. I'm super stoked, man. Like twenty twenty three was kind of a year of healing for me and getting some cool projects done. But Um, I'm going to work more heavily with the CBA foundation, try to raise some more money for our community. That's going to take a lot of my time. I'm going to, I've made Dan Gates a verbal promise. And when I make a promise, you don't have to make me sign a contract. It's done that. I'm going to get more involved with CRWM because the work he's doing is absolutely incredible. Uh, I'm going to try to help, you know, up that game wherever I can. And then uh, there's a couple of businesses that I'm starting in 2024 that I'm really excited about. One is this masterclass that I'm doing for people that are in the relationship building business. Uh, We're launching that here in probably a couple of weeks, probably when this podcast it, it'll, it'll be out and going. Uh, And then um, my wife and I started an apparel brand called Hunter pride. And I'm really excited about that because um, I wouldn't say like the opposition has their flags because I've got friends of, Every single walk of life that you can have. And so I don't want to say the opposition, but I would say other groups out there have their own flags, but we don't. And so my wife and I are putting the finished touches on a brand called Hunter Pride, and we hope to unite all the hunters um, so they can wear what they're proud about around the country and not uh, be slighted and let people know like they're proud to be a hunter because there's other people walking around with their pride flag. Why don't we have ours?
0: For sure. So when is, when's Hunter Pride launching? January one, January one. Okay, this podcast will be out probably. I think it's, you're going to be the second week of uh, January, so it'll be the new year. So everybody, happy new year! But I love the momentum that you're going into this year with, uh, and man, it's just awesome. And we're definitely going to have you back because we'll we'll be you know we could talk all day. But <laughs> okay. where can people find you? So like, I want to. So it's HunterPride.com for your clothing apparel brand. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then for the coaching, what is that?
1: Uh, that's going to be Subliminal Art of sale- Selling uh and it's just sas.com okay. i'll give you a link that you can give for folks yeah
0: we'll put it up we just need like a matt jackson.com link we'll show all <laughs> the things that you're doing but
1: well um i i do have a speaker coach and i'm going to be doing more public speaking speaking in 2024 and uh that website will be MJspeaks.com.
0: oh perfect mm-hmm. that that's easy to remember we'll put all that up and then for social media how do people find you on the gram or facebook
1: uh, retirement dream maker on the gram and same thing on facebook
0: Perfect. Well, thanks for coming on, brother. It's been a pleasure and uh, really excited. And thanks just for just being you. I appreciate it. Likewise, dude. I mean, we need more people just like you. So thanks for having me on. All right, brother. Cheers.